Hey church, we are continuing our series called The Mind of Christ, and I hope this has been beneficial for you. It's actually been really beneficial for me to talk to figure out how to how to talk about helping you learn how to think about these these issues uh, rather than just telling you what to think. And um, and so uh, today we're going to talk about culture. And, and now culture, as Missy said earlier, is a really broad topic. So we're going to, I'm going to try to give us a pretty simple definition so we can um, narrow it down just a bit. Simply put, uh, culture is the way things are done. Okay, so uh, I know that's still broad, but uh, hopefully it, it, it uh, helps you individualize that a little bit or put in the context of um, like Missy did at your workplace or an organization, our church, um, your family, uh, and, and also we're going to talk about society today. So, um, so when we think about our society and culture in our society, and I don't mean in society in the world, I mean, and I don't even mean in Canada, I don't even mean, uh, you know, or, or culture from wherever you're from and your, your background, uh, whether it's Chinese culture or American culture or Korean culture or Indian culture. Uh, you know, I mean, even in India, right, there's so many different people groups just in, in that one nation. So uh, what I mean is our culture here in our specific context. So we're talking about uh, where you live, where you work. For a lot of us, that's Toronto. Um, that may change per your neighborhood uh, as well. So um, when you think about culture, here's some questions. Uh, so what is talked about? You know, like, what do you talk about? That will help you identify uh, what, what is influencing you in, in culture. It's the things that you talk about. Uh, you know, so much of, of us teaching people to share their faith is, hey, just talk about Jesus. Just like you talk about your wife, your job, your kids, your pets, uh, the shows you watch, um, talk about Jesus. And, and uh, the more you do that, the more he's part of your culture and, and what you do because you talk about him. Um, here's another question. Where is identity for the culture that we're in? Where does our culture place identity? Think about this. Uh, one of the first things people ask each other is, what do you do? Even that specific, because if you ask me what I do, well, um, I could tell you a number of things. I could say, well, uh, I'm a pastor. And just, just to say this, I never say that to people. Um, because one, that is a role or a position. And two, it's not even a role or position I identify with in what we what and what we talk about here at Trinity Life. So I may I, I may say depending on who it is, I'm a leader of a church, something like that. But even that doesn't say what I do; it just describes a role. Um, and normally, when people say "What do you do?", what do they mean? Well, they mean what you get paid for, right? Like if if you say um, "What what do you do?" Uh, to somebody, I could say, well, I read. Oh, you get, that's your job? Oh, no, that's not my job. That's just what I love to do. Oh, well, that's not what I mean. I mean, what, what is your job? So we identify people with their profession, with their job. Um, for me, I've got a bunch of different 
a bunch of different things. So when someone asks me that and they mean my job, I'm like, oh, what do I say here? Well, um, I work for a church. Um, I work for a seminary. Uh, I'm on a federal project. Um, I am a writer, an author. Like, all those things pay me money. So does that, is that, does that define me? Is that where my identity should be? And a lot of us put our identity in that. Well, I am a teacher. I am a nurse. I am a counselor. You know, and, and so where is identity in our culture? Now, you may say, well, my identity is in Christ. Hopefully you're saying that if you're part of Trinity Life, because that is our mission statement, discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence the city and the world. Um, but our society doesn't say that. So what is our general culture and society uh, put our identity in? Uh, that, that helps. Uh, what are the rhythms of society? That's another question. What are the rhythms? How does society work? You know, typical work day, uh, weekends, what, what, what is a rhythm? In my neighborhood where I live, uh, there's a Sabbath rhythm because it's primarily a Jewish neighborhood. And so even the cultural nominal Jews, Sabbath. So it's nice and quiet, which goes well with, with uh, my rhythm and my family's rhythm is we Sabbath at the same time, sundown Friday to uh, sundown Saturday. Um, so full 24-hour period of, of Sabbath. And, and so it's actually really nice. That's a rhythm of our neighborhood. That's a, it's may not be the rhythm of our city, but um, when we look at our city, what are, what are the rhythms? What do we value, right? Before COVID, you know, if you're single, you live downtown, uh, you, go, you went out uh, maybe on Friday nights and, um, and drank with your friends. You went to a pub, you went to a club, you went dancing, you went to karaoke, you, you know, what, whatever it is, that was kind of a, a rhythm. And your workplace may have had a gathering afterwards uh, for everyone on Friday nights, that's a rhythm. So um, another question, what is popular? So what's popular and what is promoted? Right? All you have to do is go to a grocery store and see what magazines are on that aisle. Are they even put magazines in the grocery store aisle anymore? I don't even know. I haven't been in the grocery store, the supermarket in years. I feel like uh, I haven't noticed that um, recently. Um, yeah, maybe you haven't either because of the pandemic and you've been having your groceries ordered in. But, um, you know, go down into a store and see what magazines are, are there or look at billboards. See, you see what's popular. Turn on the radio and you hear what's popular. Um, even on Netflix now, it says the 10 most popular things people are watching. Um, you know, you see what's popular. You see what's promoted, right? Like, there's a lot of horror movie trailers out right now, or all the time, I feel like. That's what's promoted. People, there's some, there's some sort of thing in the culture that's drawing people to horror, horror movies, right? And the, and the supernatural or the insidious. Uh, so there's something in our culture there, there with that. Um, how about what is valued? That's another, that's another question. What is valued? Think what is valued tangibly and intangibly. So for instance, tangibly, what do you pay money for? Right? What, so tangibly, what do you purchase? What is valued? Is it valued that you have a nice car? If you, is it valued that you have nice things? Is it valued that you have a house to live in? That is a cultural value. Those are cultural things that we need to recognize. Um, and guys, all the things we're talking about here, 
we're not saying they're all worldly things. We're just saying, what is the culture right now? Okay, we're going to talk about uh, distinction between kingdom culture and, and worldly culture in a second. But right now, we're just saying culture. So, where do you live? What do you purchase for that place you live in? Um, you know, vacations. You know, what what's valued? Right? You look on social media, and everyone's going somewhere. Right? I don't know. I don't actually look at social media. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but I hear that's that's what happens. And and so. Um, there's, there's value put in that. Uh, intangibly, what do people value? What are their character traits? Is humility valued? Or is arrogance valued? Is, is rudeness valued? Or is gentleness valued? Is, is, uh, what's, what's valued in your workplace? Being brash or being gentle? Um, needing things now, immediate gratification, or long-suffering and delayed gratification, right? What, what is valued in our culture? And that affects even, guys, the way you eat and the way you drink, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that even those mundane things we should be doing to the glory of God. So think about immediate gratification. Oh, I have a stomach pain. My, my stomach just growled. I should eat food. Is that what you automatically do? So um, there's immediate gratification there that's influenced by our culture because food is readily accessible to the majority of us. Right? So... Um, even something like that is very nuanced in the culture, right? Um, I mean, one last question, like how is conflict handled? That speaks to culture too, right? Uh, think about the house you grew up in. Was it passive aggressive? Did things get swept under the rug? Uh, or were things dealt with head on? Uh, was it confrontational where it led to yelling and divisiveness? Or was it confrontational where it led to love and building up? Um, in our culture at large in Toronto, would you say it's passive aggressive or would you say it's, it's like more um, direct and, uh, or more in your face? Um, and that's culture that speaks to our rhythms, that speaks to our personalities, that speaks to what is accepted here. Because more precisely put, culture refers to what is socially or maybe it's better to say this way, societally acceptable. What is normative, right? And anything that goes against that culture is countercultural. It's counter the culture. So generally, it's societally acceptable for us to wear clothes in public. And if someone was to be counterculture that, and they didn't wear, they would not wear clothes, right? So you see, there's a counterculture there. Now that's. That's um, an extreme example, but it's also a, um, uh, it's a, you, you definitely see a contrast there, right? Some things are more subtly countercultural, right? But, but um, uh, when it doesn't fit the norm exactly, when it isn't fully societally acceptable, it becomes countercultural. That's kingdom culture. Now, not all things that are countercultural are kingdom culture, but kingdom culture is counter-cultural to the world's culture. And when you think about kingdom culture, it's counter-cultural to a lot of uh, Toronto culture. Not all of it, but a lot of it. It's counter-cultural to maybe even your family culture. Not all of it, but maybe some of it. And it may even be counter-cultural to your individual culture. Not all of it, but some of it, right? Like where your desires want you to do this and kingdom culture saying, no, you do this, right? It's why, it's why Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, um, you need to put away the anger and the lust. 
those, that's countercultural to our sinful flesh, right? So that's an example of, of something individually. So let's go to this passage here, Romans 12, 1 through 2, and, and just walk through this quickly uh, because it talks about, it's talking about how we live in the world. So verse 1, Paul writing, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So what does he appeal to us with? The mercies of God. The mercies of God. So he's appealing to us by mercy, which is God withholding judgment. God withholding punishment. God withholding consequences, right? Um, So by the mercies of God. So we see a benevolent God here. By God's mercies, he's asking us to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what's the problem with living sacrifice? Well, a living sacrifice uh, is on the altar, and if it's alive, when the fire gets hot, what do we want to do? We want to crawl off the altar. So that's what's tough about following Jesus sometimes, is uh, we're in a crucible when a fire gets hot, we want to run away. Instead, we're supposed to persevere. Um, so he said, present your bodies as living sacrifice, because we're alive in Christ, right? He's already talked about that early on and earlier on in Romans. We're alive in Christ. Um, and, and he says, as you do so, it'll be holy and acceptable to God. And this is your spiritual worship. So holiness, guys, holy means that you are totally different from the rest of the world. You are set apart, right? Holiness, that's what that means. It is wholly different, W-H-O-L-O-Y, right? You are set apart, you're consecrated, totally different. That's countercultural. So even this is countercultural. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. That's countercultural. And it's holy. That's counterculture. Like you are separate. You are, this is not the norm. This is not generally accepted in society, right? To lay your life down, um, to humble yourself like Jesus does in the form of a servant, uh, being obedient to death on a cross. That is generally not what people do. And he says, we are to do that. And that is holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship is how ESV translates it. But the the more apt translation, I think, is this is your, and it says this in your footnotes if you have a Bible, this is your rational service. This is your reasonable service, some translations translate it. Basically, because Jesus has given his life for us, this is the least you can do for Christ. If you're going to follow Jesus... This is the rational, this is the re, your reasonable service. It's the least you can do for the kingdom of God, for Jesus. And so we do that. And then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Notice that um, there's a passivity there. Like You can actually actively be conformed to the world where you choose... Uh, the culture of this world, where you choose the world and it conf- and it forms you, and you can also passively be conformed to the world and by the world. So, um, here's a for instance. Right? I choose to um, 
work this certain type of job in this environment. Okay, I chose that job and it is a choice. Maybe I made that choice without, without um, consulting Christ. Right? And it's a choice in this world. You needed money, whatever it was. Um, you thought it was going to be a good career. Um, and then the culture of that company, that organization, you've submitted yourself to, right? Because they pay you. Um, so you have to do what they say. So now you're, you've essentially put yourself in, in, in a, or you have put yourself in submission to them. And uh, their culture can form you and shape you, right? So it's a choice, but it's also happening whether you choose each thing specifically or not. Like Missy was talking about, there are 19 things, right? Whether she assented to each of those specifically or not, that culture was forming her. So when we live in this world in Toronto, there's a, there's, there, we're always battling against the f- culture forming us and, and conforming us to this world. It's just there, guys. It's the water we swim in. You don't even realize you're in it sometimes until you're out of it. Guys, I didn't realize how much my culture in America formed me until I was out of the culture in America and I lived in a different country here in Canada. Now, I lived, I lived in different countries before, but not for this long as an adult, right, on the outside looking in. And so it wasn't until I was out of the water that I was like, oh, that's the water I was living and swimming and breathing in like that's that's different right and and if if you're here in Canada it would be the same thing for you when you if you were to live outside this culture you would see the things that were forming and shaping you that may or may not be of the kingdom of God and 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 so here when he says do not be conformed there's a passive and an active element to it and the goal is like, you can generally recognize your choices, I hope, the active elements to it. But a lot of us don't recognize the passive elements to how culture is shaping us. And I want you to open your eyes to that. So that's really going to teach you and show you how to think about culture. So um, uh, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay. Here's the thing, guys. <clears throat> As we're in culture, there's a certain indoctrination happening. You're being taught whether you know it or not. You're being indoctrinated. Right? Just like if you were to live in a different country like China or Korea or Indonesia or Nigeria or, you know, name your country, England. Um, the culture there would shape you in a certain way. Um, you might even change the way you speak, right? Your accent or the words that you use, um, different things like that. So there's an indoctrination that happens. It's not all bad. Sometimes we think indoctrination is bad, uh, but it's not bad if it's good things that are, you're being indoctrinated with. Um, but so much of our indoctrination in culture happens through, uh, for us today, social media. Right, uh, or just media in general, social media, media, but social media in particular has made voyeurs of all of us. Well, not me, because I don't 
look at social media and, and the feeds. But most of us, uh, it's made voyeurs of most of us. Like, guys, when did being a peeping Tom become socially acceptable? But that's what it is. You're just looking at people's lives, right? Um, and, you're, and you're scrolling through this. You can go back decades, guys, and, and the prophets, you know, quote-unquote prophets of the age just 30 years ago predicted this. And they said, like, hey, there's going to be a day when we're all looking, looking at a screen just watching people live their life. That's crazy that someone said that 30 years ago before the internet um, took, really took off um, and uh, for personal use. And, like, that's, that's the thing today. We have this, we have this thing where we're all, we're all looking at and we're all stuck to looking at people's lives. That's social, that's social media. And it breeds envy and jealousy and deceit, right? Deceit because you're putting, you want to put your best foot forward. Um, and I had someone say to me one time, uh, I was like, uh, they said they had a picture of something. And, and I was like, oh, I'd love to see that picture sometime. And they're like, oh, uh, just go to my Instagram. And I was like, but I don't have Instagram. And, and they said, Oh, are you too holy for it or something? And I said, yeah, I am. Like, guys, that isn't speaking to me being holier than thou. That isn't speaking to me being more holy than any. That's saying, no, I am, I've chosen not to be because I am set apart. I am countercultural in that way, apparently, um, now. And it's not just because I'm older than most of you guys. Um, uh, but I've chosen to be countercultural, like he says, holy and acceptable. And so I'm like, I don't need that. And so I choose not to, not to be on it. And so social media, but social media is just there guys. And it, and it influences you. And I just want you to wake up and see how it influences you. I want you to be aware of that. Um, and it's a lot of it's by osmosis. It's, it's, it's by passive um, things you're intaking by an active choice of being on it, right? So, um, social media, uh, music does the same thing. Lyrics, beats, even, right? Uh, I remember when I was when I was growing up um, in high school, I said to my youth pastor, <clears throat> "Oh, like I can listen to that music. The, the lyrics don't affect me." Um, and uh, of course, uh, I was an idiot. Uh, of course it affects you. It's still in my brain today. And uh, those things aren't of the kingdom of God. Those, some of those things that are in my brain, um, those lyrics that are in there, that are stuck there, that um, I put in my heart back then, shape me even when I didn't realize it. So music does that. Videos, right? What you watch, YouTube, Netflix, whatever you watch, guys, you're inputting that into your eye, which is the window to your soul, right? You're, you're inputting that into your mind, which directs and guides you. You're supposed to be discerning, and that affects your discernment. <clears throat> and some people say, oh, well, I'm mature enough to handle that. Guys, if you were mature enough, you would know that you shouldn't do those things. Like, that's, that's a, a horrible argument, um, that, uh, that you're, you're mature enough. That's like me saying, oh, I'm going to go to the strip club because I'm mature enough. Yeah, seeing, seeing all that doesn't affect me. So I can go to the strip club. No, guys. Like there's, there's um, we have to have discernment there where, where we say, sure, like 
um, could I watch that thing? Could I watch that video and and it not be like hugely detrimental? Sure. But but is it the thing that we should be doing? That's what we're gonna talk about here when we talk when we go further into this. So how do we be transformed by the renewing of our mind? This is where Philippians 4 addresses this. So in Philippians 4, he says this, first of all, rejoice. Rejoice where? Rejoice in what? Take joy in what? In the Lord. Take joy in the Lord. Not take joy in um, binge watching your show. Not take joy in uh, whatever this other thing is. Take joy in the Lord. Always again, I say rejoice. And guys, I'm not saying you fully get rid of things, okay? Before you think I'm going all the way to the extreme, I'm just trying to help you discern. Let your reasonableness known to anyone, the Lord to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we want. You want the peace of God to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, we've opened our hearts and our minds to all manner of things and let that dwell in us. And God's saying, no, that's why you don't have peace. Because the peace of God isn't ruling you. The peace of Christ isn't reigning in your heart. It is not surpassing all your understanding. It's not guarding your hearts. You've thrown that peace to the wayside to let that other thing in your heart and that other thing in your mind. And he says, so brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure. Guys, whatever is pure, without blemish, with, that is spotless. You're like, oh, I can watch that video. It only has one instance of this. Now, he says whatever is pure, not whatever is only has one blemish, whatever has three blemishes, whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So many people want peace and they're praying for that in their heart, and yet you're putting things in your mind and your heart that are countercultural to the kingdom of God. And then you're trying to live in the kingdom of God. And it's just like a big tension in your heart. That's why, it's tr- that's why you have troubled waters in your heart. And so he says here um, <clears throat> to think on these things here. So here, I want us to do a little exercise. I want you to, I want you to, uh, if you want, you can close your eyes. You don't have to, but you're going to imagine this, okay? So you can imagine this with your eyes open. If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. But I want you to imagine being completely filthy, like covered with mud. Right? You are caked down with mud. You're completely filthy and, and there's mud all over you. And now that you have that image, now I want you to go try to take that mud off of you in the shower and in your shower you turn it on and only one drop of water comes out 
is that going to clean you? Is that going to get you to where you need to be without any mud? And then every day, you just have that one drop. That's all your shower produces every day. So you actually, if you think about it, if you got a drop of water on your muddy forehead, it actually becomes more dirty and more caked on when it dries, right? It doesn't actually do a whole lot. It might even make it, <laughs> I don't know, it just, it, it looks weird, okay, at the, at the least. But then the next day you go in, you do it again. Next day you go in, how long would that take? You might not ever get all the mud off, right? You might have it all in your ears and your hair and everywhere else um, just with one drop of water a day. Imagine now your shower stops working. You don't even do it every day. You do it a few days a week. And then eventually you're like, ah, this isn't doing much. So you just go to one day a week and you do it. Imagine you kind of stop doing that and maybe it's twice a year. You're just going to live the rest of your life with mud. Guys, that's exactly what we do when we try to live in kingdom culture. You are covered in mud. You're trying to renounce, like we said in Titus, you're trying to, he's training us to renounce all ungodliness, all worldly passions, to put those things away. And you're getting a drop of the scriptures here. You're getting a drop of community here. You're getting a drop of prayer here. A little drip here. A little drop of Jesus there. And then eventually, maybe you don't do it every day. Maybe you read your Bible three times a week. Three drops a week. Maybe you're in church. Maybe you're around believers and in community twice a week. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe then it's a few times a year. Drop, drop, drip, drip, still mud everywhere. Guys, the kingdom of God, when Jesus calls us to it, it is full immersion. If you want to fully follow Jesus, if you want to be devoted to God, you have to be immersed in the kingdom of God. You can't say, I want these things out of this culture, waterfall, and I want these things out of kingdom culture, drip, 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 drip. Guys, you got to get the waterfall over here. Like the kingdom of God, it has to be like Niagara Falls to us, right? But instead, the culture of the world is like Niagara. It's just, we're dripping with it. It's all over us. And we think a little drip here is going to get us there. We think, we think, oh, our kids will be fine if, if they're in this world and we just give them a little bit of drips here and a little bit of drips there. We think, um, you know, I'll be fine working in this industry because I've got, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of light um, and the whole time your light is dimming because the, this industry is just overtaking you, right? Like, guys, you need to be immersed in the kingdom of God. It's why we baptize with immersion, right? I sh it's immersion by immersion, actually. Bap th that word baptizo in Greek means to immerse, to fully immerse. So get that sprinkling out of here. Like We are immersing you. It's a picture of you 
being buried with Christ in his death and being raised to walk in new life. And Paul here in, in uh, Romans 12, he's about to say, after, he's, after he says this passage here, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's about to say to them, hey, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to be in the gifts of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. Like you're to let your love be genuine. You're to abhor what is evil. You're to hold fast what's good. You're not to be slothful in zeal. You're to serve the Lord with all you have. You're to walk forward in the fervency and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're to rejoice in hope. You're to be patient in tribulation. You're to be constant in prayer. You're to um, owe no one anything except to love. You're to fulfill the law of love. You're to wake up out of your passivity. You're to wake up from, from your slumber. And guys, how can you do any of that when the world is dictating your thoughts, your passions, your dreams, your emotions, your purchases, where you work, where you live, what your family is like, your pursuits, your relationships? You can't do any of this. That's why Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind because if, if you can't, the rest of this is, is moot for you. You're not immersed in the kingdom culture. How can you bless your enemies while they persecute you? How can you overcome evil with good when you only have a drop of the kingdom of God? He says, because you're supposed to, in verse 12, he says, you're supposed to discern what the will of God is. And that will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we are blemishing. And he doesn't say discern your will. He says, you're to discern the will of God. This is why we're trying to help you how to think because here's the reality. I can't tell you what to think in every single situation. You don't want that. Your R3 leader can't do that. You don't want that from them. And so you need to learn how to discern the will of God. That's why Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians, he gives us this rule of thumb. What is beneficial? What is beneficial for the kingdom of God? What is God's best? We want that for you. I want you to experience the abundant life. I want you to want God's best. Guys, get past, is this sin or is this not sin? Get to, God, what is your heart? God, what is your prayer for me? What is your prayer for the church? Where am I supposed to join you? What is your best? I want your best. I don't want, I don't want what's good. I don't want what's mediocre. I want your best. God. He has that for you. Guys, does your heart, does your heart sing for Jesus? Like does your, uh, have you laid your life down? Do your thoughts, do your thoughts focus on Jesus? Are you in constant prayer? Like have you lost your life for Jesus? Are you, have you died to yourself? Like, are you devoted to God? Are you immersed in the kingdom? Have you said every day I'm going to Bear my cross, God, for you. Like if your answer is no to any of those, you're not immersed in the kingdom. God wants his best for you. It's the abundant life. Stop being fooled by the things of this world that are taking you away from experiencing the things of God. Your R3 leader can help get you there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you showed us 
a different way to live, a countercultural way to live, the kingdom way to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I struggle with that here. But I want that. I desire that. I want to commit my way to you, trust in you, and, I, and we will see you act. So I pray that we would all do that as a church and that you'd show us a new way, a better way, a more excellent way, the way of love. In your name, Jesus. Amen.